This is the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Ladysmith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. Rick Nicely is the lead pastor. Hey, go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. And as you turn there, we're actually going to cover a little bit of chapter 3 because the way the text lays out, we, we know the, the scripture was not written in chapter and verse. That got put in later just so it's easier to find things. But the latter part of chapter 3, I'll cover a few verses there, and then the first few chapters of chapter 4, and then we'll, we'll talk about this big picture of adoption today. Um, but in, in that, I want to cover last couple of weeks. So week 1, uh, Matt Johnson talked about this big idea that there's no other gospel, there's only one gospel. And, and Paul says if anyone comes, even an angel comes and describes something different than the gospel that we're describing and Jesus described, and lived out, then him be accursed, right? And so it's this idea that it's Jesus plus nothing. So if some other religion or somebody's telling you it's Jesus plus this, uh, Jesus plus that, that is not the gospel. It's no longer good news. In fact, uh, Matt described is legalism, this idea of somehow earning or climbing a ladder, somehow achieving favor uh, with God. And that's impossible because the scripture says that all our good works are like filthy rags in his sight. And then uh, the second uh, chapter, chapter 2, we talked about this big idea that only through faith in Christ are we accepted before God and alive in Him. And so it's through faith alone that we're justified. And we, we talked about Abraham that he was justified 430 years before the law. So the fact that, that Abraham was justified by faith before the law and before circumcision, these Judaizers that were trying to add to the gospel trying to say is Jesus plus the law, Jesus plus circumcision. That is not true, and that's not what Jesus preached. And so understanding that we're justified by faith or made right or we are given righteousness before God by faith. Now, I want you to understand this word faith is tossed around a lot today in our society. So imagine uh, this cup here, and I say, would you please hand me this cup? And so the cup is not necessarily the object of the importance, what's in the cup. This has got a cup of coffee, so I say, pass me the cup. I'm, what I'm really wanting is the coffee, right? And so when, when the scriptures talk about having faith, and we're justified by faith, it's not just faith in anything. It's just not faith in a higher power. It's just not faith in the, the man upstairs. It's faith in Jesus, in Jesus alone. So understand that faith is just the vessel by which where we're saying it's Jesus, it's faith in Jesus alone that justifies us before God. And then uh, last week we talked about this idea, uh, chapter 3, God's com- uh, complementing covenants with Abraham and Moses are fulfilled in Christ. And so we, we talked about how the, the, Jew, uh, the Jews in many ways, they, they viewed uh, God's, pro, uh, God's covenant from the law to Abraham, it should have been the other way around. It's Abraham, which is by faith alone, through uh, the Mosaic covenant. And so understanding that the law was given to us to set, us, set the Jewish people apart, but it's also to show that they could not be good enough. It's, it's to show that they were sinful beings and they could never be perfected before God apart from the work of Jesus Christ. And that even when we talked about last week, the, the gospel is literally preached to Abraham and all the patriarchs in chapter 11 that put faith in the coming Messiah. So they were Christians 
They were looking forward to Christ. We're looking back to the work and person of Jesus Christ, the finished work of Jesus. So that's where we're at. And this week we're going to go into chapter 4. And I'm going to read verses uh, 3, 26 through around 7 or 8. Chapter 3, 26. For in Christ... Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither uh, male or female. For we are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to the promise. And again, offspring, right? And we talked about this last week. The idea of offspring is not offsprings. Offspring is Jesus pointing to the person and work of Jesus. So now we are in that same lineage because we've put our faith in Christ. And then chapter 4 and verse 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons and because you are sons god has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying abba father so you are no longer a slave but a son and if you're a son then you're an heir through god formerly when you did not know god you were enslaved to those uh, sorry to those that by nature are not god's father thank you so much for our day God, thank you so much for this week. What a, a credible privilege we have to serve our community. And God, I pray that the kindness, uh, the things that we did, the service, uh, the inviting to our community, the prayer walking. God, these hands of labor that we did, God, they will understand that this is not somehow for us to get credit. It's not somehow to be looked upon by man in some other favor. The whole purpose of us loving our community this week is to say, God, you first loved us. And because you first loved us, we want to love others. And because you sent your one and only son to die for us, God, we want to live out a sacrificial life as an example of what your son did for us. So, Father, I pray that the seeds we planted through uh, words of encouragement, through maybe gospel conversations, through acts of kindness, God, that somehow, some way, God, you will use us for your glory and bring about your kingdom here on earth in a greater way. Father, we love you. God, I pray that I would decrease and you would increase today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, uh, really this overall picture today is really this picture of adoption. So let me give you our big idea today. Our big idea is this. God has graciously adopted us giving us the position of sons and the privileges of sonship. 
Now, when we use those words son and sonship, please don't think that that's male chauvinistic uh, terminology, but it, in that culture and day and understanding that the, 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 the males, the oldest male, if you will, were the recipients of the inheritance, okay? And so when they say that, they're basically saying the full rights of the full inheritance you're given. And so this idea of sons and sonship, meaning you get the full inheritance. So what does that look like? Well, Paul has laid out for us this idea of salvation. In chapter 1, he talked about this idea of being redeemed. And the idea of being redeemed is this idea of being purchased, to be bought back. We're, we're slaves to sin, and so we have to be bought back by his blood. And also with this idea of justification, that no righteousness of our own, but counted righteous because of Christ. And then ultimately, if you will, a deeper and deeper understanding of salvation ultimately is this idea of adoption, this idea of adoption. And this idea of adoption is to be grafted in as a family member, most importantly, grafted in as a son, an heir of God's kingdom, an heir in God's family. Now, I will tell you, uh, there's some major misconceptions about adoption, okay? Uh, those who know us, know our story, we are big proponents of adoption. Um, our precious girls have been adopted. They have two completely different stories, but those stories are, at the same time, very beautiful. Now, I want you to understand, we had a heart for adoption way before we got married, I have a, a sister who's been adopted. I have a, a niece that's been adopted. Michelle's adopted. And we have extended adoptions in both of our families. But more importantly, we saw adoption as God's idea and God's plan. And by the way, if we are going to stand for pro-life, which we absolutely should as Christians, we should stand for pro-adoption. Right? We should stand up and make every effort if we're not going to adopt, help others to adopt. We have uh, the Pennington's in our midst and family. I'm not sure if they're here today, but they are trying to adopt for the second time. And so if you know them, ask them how you can help. Pray for them, encourage them. Maybe you could donate and help them. And I know there's other families in our midst that have adopted. And if they plan on adopting again, we need to somehow champion that for them. But there's some misconceptions about adoption, and some of these may or may not have been said to us in the past, but, and I'm not going to try to hurt anyone's feelings today, but I think it's important because for us to understand uh, the misconceptions about adoption, we need to understand what adoption is really about. And so these are some of the things that you don't want to say to adoptive parents. Oh, they're so nice. That's great. When are you going to have some of your own? Okay. That's not something you want to say to an adoptive parent. Why? Because they are our own, right? They are ours. And so uh, another one was, oh, they're so cute. And guess what? They're adopted. I mean, do, do we go around saying, hey, oh, his head's perfect. He had to be a C-section. I mean, right? I mean, uh, wow. No, that was, a, that was a vaginal birth. Yes, yes, uh, that was. Yes, that was, that was tough there. All right. No, I mean, and, and, and listen, I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but what I'm saying is this. We all are birthed in different ways. And listen, the picture of adoption, I think, is the deepest understanding 
of salvation until we begin to grasp the depth of what God has done for us, we're not going to truly understand God as our Father. And so I hope that through this text today, I'm able to lay out for you this depth of salvation. Um, David Platt says this. He says, these uh, phrases or myths and misconceptions about adoption are not just annoyance to parents who have been through adoption process. They're symptoms of something deeper. They show how little we understand what it means to be a part of God's family. Even our uh, infatuation with, our, our, I'm sorry, even our infatuation with biological and adopted labels and distinct between the two show our tendency to qualify children into categories based around flesh and blood. But as long as this, that's the case, we'll struggle with a gospel that tells a story of spiritual, listen, transracial adoption that changes the life of each of us for all eternity. We are adopted into God's, the family of God, and the implications of this are huge for understanding and living out our Christianity. J.I. Packer says this, the doctrine of justification makes us right before the judge. But in the doctrine of adoption, we are loved by Father, I'm sorry, by God the Father. In justification, the picture is legal. We stand before a judge who makes a pronouncement. But in adoption, the judge not only declares that we're not guilty, he also gets off the bench, comes down to where you are, takes you takes off the chains off of you and says, come home with me. You are my son. Packer says, listen, to be right with God, the judge, is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. So let me ask you something. When somebody asks you what it means to be a Christian, I think this is a great response. This is by J.I. Packer as well. The richest answer, he says, I know is this. Christian, a Christian is one who has God as their father. God as their father. Now, I will say in our generation, in our times, and I would say that I guess it's true for lots of generations and lots of times because we do get somewhat of our view of our heavenly father from our earthly father. And so when that is cracked and broken, which all of them are on certain levels and some type of level because we're all human beings, right? And we're all broken. Our, our brokenness leaks out in different ways. Understanding that sometimes our, our, our heavenly father's view can be skewed because of our earthly father. But we can't do that. We have to trust what God says is true about him and his son and his word. And listen, anytime you doubt, God's love. Anytime you doubt the love of the Father, you have to go back to the cross. You have to go back to the cross. Jesus paid the ultimate price. And God gave his one and only son his greatest gift. And if he's not going to withhold that, why would he withhold anything else that's good? See, this is where we need to understand who God really is. He is our adoptive father. It says in verse 26, again, for in Christ Jesus, I'm sorry, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. God adopts us 
as sons by sending his son. He adopts us as sons by sending his one and only son. So we're going to talk about this idea of position and this idea of privilege. So our position in Christ is this. Adoption requires someone who comes at the right time. It says in verse chapter 4, verse 4, it says this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of women, born under the law. So it's this perfect time God sent his one and only son. See, it was perfect theologically because God had already laid out this picture of salvation through the work of his people, the Israelites, through the Abrahamic covenant, through Moses, that picture of them being delivered from the Egyptians out of the bondage of slavery, right? Through the sea, the Red Sea, on ultimately to a place where it flows with milk and honey. And so this idea of both deliverance and salvation, but also this idea of sanctification and ultimately glorification all through over 360 specific, specific prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus. And then this idea that at the right time, religiously, where at the perfect time, God brought his people under the rule and reign and domination, if you will, of the Roman Empire. And because of their idolatry and because of the wickedness there, there was a real hunger for truth. There was a real hunger for a Messiah to deliver them. He brought them at the right time. And then ultimately, too, this idea of culturally, God brought his son perfectly in history during the idea of the Greek language where most of the known world spoke. And so the, uh, the gospel was able to be proclaimed to all the nations. See, God in his sovereignty was designing, it was designing of all history for this moment in time where God would send his one and only son. Also, this idea of position, adoptions require someone who possesses the right qualifications. Couldn't be just anyone who died on the cross. It had to be God himself. Fully God and fully man. Jesus is fully divine. We see that in Colossians 1. Colossians 1.15 says this. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So God took on flesh. He became incarnate. The incarnation work of Jesus Christ. He came and dwelt among us. Emmanuel, God with us. He is fully divine. And then we see also that Jesus is fully human. In Philippians 2, we see <clears throat> Philippians 2, 5 through 11 says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth 
and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to glory of the God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So it's this idea that Jesus is fully divine, Jesus is fully human, and then ultimately, Jesus is fully righteous. Him who knew no sin became sin for us. Listen, that we may become the righteousness of God. So this idea that Jesus is fully God, he is fully human, he is fully righteous. And then adoption requires someone who has the right resolve. Can I tell you, as adoptive parents, that it takes resolve to adopt? Um, Now, we have been through this process three times, okay? One of those did not work out, and it crushed us, okay? But I can tell you each of them are different, but each of them are hard. And I will tell you this. I believe the reason it's so hard to adopt in our country and across the world is because of this. It is a picture of salvation. And Satan and his demonic forces want to do whatever they can to discourage people from adopting, making it as expensive as possible, get heavy government regulations, doing whatever they can to discourage. Why? Because it's a picture of salvation. I believe the high rate for divorce is an attack of the enemy. Why? Because it's a picture of our marriage to God. It's a picture of God. I believe the reason abortion is so rampant in America is because we're made in the image of God and Satan wants to destroy any image of God we can. I believe the reason fathers have failed and they're many times failed in their role or disconnected from their families is because of an attack on men because they know he represents the Godhead in the home. Okay? Listen, don't think that just the things going on in our society are just haphazard. Okay? It is an attack on God himself. And so understanding when we, when we talk about this idea of adoption, it requires resolve. Listen to this. Ephesians, what a great, great text. Ephesians 3, we says in verses 3 through 5, it says, How the mystery was made known to me by revelation. And as I've written briefly, when you read this, you can uh, perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it made been made revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. It's really this picture of understanding that Jesus had resolved. You remember when he was in the garden? And he says, if this cup could pass from me, but not my will, Father, your will be done. I can tell you there were times and moments when we were in the middle of adoption, whether it was financially, whether it was psychologically, whether it was fear, that we would just have to go to the Lord in prayer. We had a kind of an oasis. We lived near a park, and we would just walk that park and pray. Every time Satan seemed to rear his ugly head and was going to try to put a stop to this, we would pray. I remember a time where 
our youngest, where she was in a, a really bad situation. We were trying to rescue her. And initially the judge rejected. We had a substitute judge and it broke our hearts because we knew the circumstances that were going on. And we just came before God with a broken heart. And we asked God to do a work. And I remember even Hope being upset about it. And we prayed together and we looked. A storm had come through. And in the middle of our yard was this giant rainbow across our yard. We still have that picture. We took a picture and that was God's promise to know that he is going to persevere through this. And so this understanding that God in Jesus adopts us, he had resolved to adopt us. See, earthly adoption is often glamorized, even over-glamorized, as we think about sweet, precious, innocent children all over the world, just waiting to be adopted by a family. But listen, Ephesians 2 <laughs> describes something completely different. It says that we're actually objects of wrath. Think about that for a moment. We're objects of wrath because we follow the rule of this world. We're in rebellion. We're in treason toward God. Russell Moore describes it like this. Imagine for a moment that you're going to adopt a child. And as you meet with the social worker in the last stage of the process, you're told that this 12-year-old has been out uh, on psychological therapy since he was three. And he persists in burning things and attempting to repeatedly skin animals alive. And he acts out sexually, and the worker, social worker doesn't really describe what that means. She continues with a little family history that this boy's father and grandfather and great-grandfather and great-great-grandfather all have histories of violence, ranging from spousal abuse to, to murder. And each of them ended their own lives. Think about it for a moment. Would you, would you think for a few minutes before you would let that child play with your kids, play with kids around you, play with your neighbor kids. What Russell Moore is really trying to describe is this. Would you want this child? Because in the end, that child is me and you. Because if we've broken one part, we've broken it all. See? And we understand that we are in total rebellion, and we do not deserve God's love. We do not deserve his redemption, his justification, his adoption. But he pursued us while we're in rebellion. And think about that picture of how we would go after those that are least likely to be adopted, to love them, to love them where they're at. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He died to rescue us. Yeah, this is a great story. Russell talks about one of his kids that, um, who happened to be adopted. And he says, Daddy, why? Why'd you adopt me? He says, because I love you. And he says, but why? It's because you're my son. And then ultimately he says, why? He says, because I wanted you. Jesus wants you to be his child. He wants to rescue you. He wants to clean you up. He wants to make you brand new. He wants you to be born again, to be one of his children. And so we see this idea of position. Now we're going to talk about this idea of privilege as adopted kids. We live with a new identity before God. See, Galatians, Galatians 3, 27 says this, For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on 
Christ. So it's this idea first that we're baptized into Christ. We're given a new identity, this idea that in the Old Testament, they were given circumcision to set them apart, to say that they were different. It's this idea of baptism that we're set apart. It's a sign that we're set apart for God. It's this idea that we're dying to the old life and being raised to a new life, new identity. And, you know, when Satan comes and he tries to attack us, that's the first thing he goes after. He goes after our identity. Well, if you were really a Christian, if you're really a son of his, he attacks us. In fact, that's exactly what he did to Jesus himself. If you are the son of God. Okay? So we see this. And then the second thing is this new identity before God is we're clothed with Christ. So it says to put on Christ. So not only are we dying, we're crucified in Christ, we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. It's the same picture that now we put on Christ. Now his righteousness covers us. We have this new identity. We no longer have to live like children of wrath. We can live in the freedom that Jesus has given us. And the third thing is this idea that you're united in Christ. So it says, if anyone is in Christ, those who were in Christ. You know, the beauty of this, the, the tense of the verbs in this text is things like this. Before, you were, until, you were, you were, you were, sent before. All these pictures of the past life, but now you have a new life in Jesus. So when you read through that text, you see that God has given us new life. Paul is not saying all these things in Christ that you're no longer, you lose necessarily these distinctions that you may no longer be a Jew or a Greek or a male or female, but instead he's saying that these barriers are no longer dividing us. We are now all one in Jesus as a beautiful bride of Christ. They no longer are barriers or walls to our unity in him. So not only do we live with a new identity before God and we're, we're baptized in Christ, we're clothed with Christ, we're united with Christ, but we also belong to Christ. 29 says this, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. See, my kids have the full right of my inheritance. They have the full right of my inheritance. You, as a son, as a child of God, have the full inheritance of God. You're not equal with God, but you have the same inheritance. So we belong to Christ. We belong to him. So not only that we live with a new identity before God, but we enjoy the intimacy with God himself. See, it says we were once imprisoned by the law and it gives us the result of sin and ultimately death, but now we're captivated by his love. Romans 8, 15 says it like this. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Listen, perfect love cast out fear, right? But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. The little, the little word, Abba, is a guttural sound. It's down deep in our soul. I know there's times when I was a kid 
that maybe I was brokenhearted over somebody or brokenhearted over a situation. And it's that deep sobbing, that deep cry to know you want a father to protect you and be there for you, right? It's that picture of understanding that God is a good God. He is a good father who loves us and cares for us. It's that picture understanding. And then also, not only do we enjoy the intimacy with God, but we are guaranteed an inheritance from God. See, we have an eternal father, we have an eternal family, and we have an eternal home. It's this picture that we get not just a father, but we get a family, and ultimately we get a home. See, we need to understand as we understand the picture of God adopting us and rescuing us out of our pit, that not only now we get to be heirs with the king, but he also gives us a family to enjoy. Listen, I don't know about you, but my earthly family can be jacked up at times. Is that right? Is yours like that? Come on now. Don't act like your family's perfect. All right? They can be jacked up, me included, okay? Now, but we love each other in the midst of it, right? But guess what? Look around. If you're a part of this family, you're jacked up, you're broken, okay? It takes work. It takes time. And as we, we remind ourselves that we look in the mirror that if we're going to love ourselves, and no one's lied to you more than you, and no one's messed up and done things more to you than you, then if you're willing to love yourself, then you need to be willing to love your neighbor and love neighbors are right around you, right, in this family. And when we learn to practice the gospel, as we talked about last week, this idea of gospel therapy, we not only extend forgiveness, but we also receive it and we allow God to forgive us and we receive that forgiveness. We forgive ourselves for that because God's love is sufficient. Now, listen, we, we talked about this in our small group last week. When we don't forgive ourselves, what we're saying is, God, what you did for us through Jesus wasn't enough. Okay? Think about that for a moment. And, and when we're trying to pursue somehow legalism or pursue earning favor because of, our, because of our brokenness, because of our sin, we're trying to earn that favor, that is a form of narcissism. We're putting ourselves back in the center of the gospel, and there's no longer the gospel. Or if you're on the other end, and you're just flat out rebelling toward God, away from God, right, and you're just living for your flesh, that's, again, putting yourself in the center, another form of narcissism. Both of those are equally as dark and broken. But it's only when we accept that free gift through Jesus that we get our father, we get our family, and ultimately we get our home. So I'm going to close with this big question this morning. I don't want to assume because we're in church today and because we shake hands and we say we're okay and we're doing great that that's necessarily the truth. The reality is this. Have you been adopted by God? Have you been adopted by God? You're not trying to gain God's favor by your merit. You're not somehow thinking it's Jesus plus. That somehow you contribute to that, but you accept the work of Jesus. And through that, you understand that you have been adopted by a loving father that cares for you, 
and gives you his son's righteousness. And now you can walk in that freedom, that newness, that you have a father, you have a family, you have an eternal home. And that, that pressure to perform is no longer there. Why? Because you're trusting in the promise of the father. Trusting in the promise, not your performance. And when you've been adopted, there's a deep, deep understanding that there's nothing that can break that. It's truly a gift from God. Will you stand? We're going to close in prayer. And as we close in prayer, know that there'll be people up here be willing to pray for you, encourage you. If you don't know Jesus, you haven't been adopted by God, we want to show you what that means. Would you come and talk to us? We want to encourage you or Maybe you just need time at the altar to pray today. And by the way, an altar can be anywhere. An altar is a place where you and God meet. Some of us have an altar maybe outside. Some of us have an altar here, and that can change. But if God's just tugging on your heart, you just need to spend some time in prayer. You can be by yourself or with someone. You can do that today. Or maybe we are have baptism in a few weeks. Maybe you've, you've been adopted. You understand your identity in Christ but you haven't followed through a believer's baptism. Listen, when God loves you and he's rescued you, follow him. He's called you. And that's that first step. Father, thank you so much for our day. God, thank you for your word. God, I just pray that as we talk about this idea of adoption, God, we'll begin to grasp the picture. I know many of us have experienced that personally. Some of us have experienced it in our families, but that we would understand the depth of your rescuing our life. That, God, we weren't the clean little toddler or newborn. No, we were that kid who was flat-out rebellion towards you. And you came after us anyway, and you made us one of your sons. You made us one of your kids regardless of where we were at and what we were doing. And you put us new clothes on. You put a ring on our finger, new shoes, and you said, now you are my son. You don't have to live like that anymore. You have erred with my son. So, Father, I pray we'll grasp that. Father, we love you. We need you. Do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Lady Smith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. These podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Play. You can also find the video version of the podcast on our YouTube channel. Just go to spotswoodls.org and click the YouTube link. Thanks for listening, and God bless you.